0: Lots of bears encounters, grizzlies, you know, rattlesnakes, and probably the, you know, I've had a couple of brushes with deaths.
1: Hi, this is Sari, and you're listening to The Secret Art Project Podcast. Creativity, mental health, and spiritual health are deeply connected domains of life. After spending years working with rock stars and filmmakers, I decided to get a theology degree. And since then, I've been cultivating my own creative practice. Experience has convinced me that exercising creativity can help us realize who we're supposed to be and manifest a better world. So join me as we talk through the process, interview experts, and get a little weird along the way.
0: Before I record these,
1: not always, but today, just now, you would have laughed at me because I like do some jumping jacks. I attend attuned to my breathing for a few seconds. I take some deep breaths just to kind of make sure I say good stuff. I will definitely say gooder stuff than if I wouldn't have done some jumping jacks just now. Quick question if you've been listening to at least one or two, two or three of these, that you might consider sending a link to my podcast to someone you know. Say, hey. Um, there's this person, Sari, who's got this podcast I've been really enjoying. I think you should check it out. That'd be really cool. Or follow or review. Those things do really help. And I would appreciate it. So that's your, that's my marketing push for this week. (laughs) I am leaving today to go to Austin, Texas. Steve O is working there for IMDb. And so he got to go to Sundance to work for IMDb. And same with South by Southwest. I'm just taking advantage of the fact that he's going to be there and found some cheap tickets. I actually had a companion fair. So I'm bringing my kid. So I won't be able to party as much as I did at Sundance, but it will still be a nice time. I'm really excited. My friend Anna Zlokovic who is super talented and will be on the podcast, I think, in the next few weeks. She's a writer and director, film writer and director, and she is premiering her first feature film. Her first feature film is called Appendage. It originally was a short film called Appendage that played at Sundance last year. And it, I mean, lickety split in record time. They made a feature out of that thing. It was also part of you can, if you have Hulu, you may have seen around Halloween, they do these Halloween, bite sized Halloween, I think is what they call it. And it's all these horror shorts and Appendage was on there. And then, and then yeah, got turned into a feature. So I really hope I get to see it this week. I think I can sneakily get in despite not having a South Bypass, but we will see. Anna and her partner, Alex Familian, are dear friends of ours and really good people. So I wish them all the success in the world. Steve is back from Panama and I'm going to have him on the show. And you guys are going to love it. But he's a little shy about it. I'm kind of surprised. I keep bringing it up and he's like, well, can you like send me the questions ahead of time? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what he's nervous about. Anyway, he got to finish filming his first feature film in Panama. And he is an inspiration to me because. He is modeling for me what it looks like to just go after, and sure, there are distractions along the way, other projects and opportunities that, you know, no shame or anything for pursuing those other things. And sometimes you have to just like prototype what's going to be the thing, right? But the thing for him just so clearly is just to pursue the number one thing he has always wanted to do and knows in his heart that he longs to do which is to make movies in Latin America, and particularly Panama, because of his connection. He was born in the States, but raised by his grandparents and mother, who are all Panamanians. When he was 10, his grandparents retired back to Panama, and he started spending several months every year in panama so he feels deeply connected to the place he's always filmed when he's there he's always held a camera and shot stuff there whenever he went but this is the first time he's been able to be fully like crewed up he had a great producer he got connected to which was such a gift and turned out to the guy tony did a great job and they also really connected as people i think felt a real strong sense of belonging and the footage that you might have seen on social media I shared some of the stills from the footage he was shooting just looks like it's going to be great. It's going to be a weird, it's going to be slightly experimental, kind of genre-bending narrative docu-fiction feature and very personal, but I'm super excited for it. I can't wait till we're in a place where he can we can share it with people. And I can tell I, he's not going to... He's going to get this thing finished and he's going to want to go back and make another one. (laughs) Very inspirational person to me. I'm sometimes jealous of his clarity of vision for what he wants and who he is. That feels harder for me to access. My friend Tom is a philosopher, theologian, and a photographer. And so this is a very conceptual episode it gets philosophical and it gets into the ways that religious beliefs or spiritual beliefs it depends where you're at with it relate to creativity how we think of our creativity we talk about the idea of a muse and what that could mean what is the creative muse if god however you conceive of god is involved in creativity when we make something We talk about the word God having so much baggage and how sometimes it's not the best word to use, (laughs) especially in certain circles. I mean, it understandably does. God is a word that has been used to hurt people and try to control people. So sometimes it can be hard. I was just actually talking to Raymond from episode one. I was catching up with him this week and we talked about when a very specific church experience has defined spirituality for you for however many years and really formative years. Sometimes the baby needs to get thrown out with the bathwater for a while because you kind of have to do some ground up. Like, what is spirituality apart from this church experience? It was defined by these specific leaders who ended up to maybe not be great people <laughs> or to put it lightly. Or just the idea of God was something that was created to keep certain people out and certain people in. How do you return to certain ideas of God, of spirit, of connecting with that part of yourself, but disassociate it from some of those things that you don't want to define you anymore? It's a big, interesting question. I talked about it last time in my intro a little bit too, about how this has been, that conversation has been part of my life. But anyway, this conversation does bring up the G word more than usual. So if that is not your thing, you can skip this one and I won't be offended. Uh, I just say he's not a traditional theologian in terms of what you might think. That means classical conceptions of God as defined by theologians. They use words like omnipotence, which means like all powerful, which means can do anything at any time. And Tom doesn't believe in that kind of God. He thinks if God exists, then God doesn't control because control isn't loving. So if that sounds kind of interesting to you. I'm sure there's some people who have heard about this who listen to my podcast because of the circles I run in. But if that's new to you, then maybe you'll find this kind of interesting. Tom's basically been like, re- treated really badly in some circles because of this belief. Yeah, if you do a Google search about him, you'll probably find some pretty, some pretty nasty articles about Tom and saying, oh, Tom thinks this God can't do anything. And Tom thinks this God doesn't even know the future, which that used to sound shocking to me. But then I realized God, he thinks God doesn't know the future because the future doesn't exist. How about that? I hope I'm not triggering people. I'm sure some people might be triggered. Okay. So what else is going on? I was going to tell you guys about a personality test called the big five personality test. So some of you have heard of personality tests like where you go on the Buzzfeed and you click on some pictures or answer some questions. I think they tell you what like Harry Potter house you're from or something. Or what kind of a, what kind of sandwich you are. It's my favorite one. I think I'm a hoagie. And I'm an Italian. I'm an Italian hoagie. <laughs> what kind of sandwich are you? Right? Please. <laughs> write write me email me and tell me what kind of much you think you are your personality is um what was i talking about oh yeah but for a while you know myers-briggs was really big there's this website called like 16 personalities and that was a myers-briggs test that was kind of fun and that would tell you what other like celebrities or famous people from history you have the same personality as but psychologists who study personalities use something called the big five So there's five categories in the big five personality test. And so this test is like the most scientifically credible personality test, if you want to take it. There's a lot of free versions, but so the five categories are openness to experience, conscientiousness, extroversion, introversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. So openness to experience is pretty obvious. Like I think that's self-explanatory, like how open you are to new experiences and ideas, I think. Conscientiousness is how much you care about like following the rules, doing things right. It has, it's kind of like tied to like your morality and ethics and work ethic and stuff. Extroversion, introversion, everyone kind of knows about what that means. That's probably the most popular because My- that's a big part of Myers-Briggs, right? And then agreeableness has to do with I think that one has to do with like your how you relate to other people. And then neuroticism, which has the most negative ring to it, but that has to do with like how dynamic emotionally you are, like how intense you feel emotions, how often you feel them. Stuff like that. But the reason I bring this up is not only to just tell you about it if you want to like check it out and see what maybe I'll link to a I'll link to one a free one in the show notes or something. But it's also to tell you that we talk about, towards the end of my interview with Tom, about how a lot of people who are into the type of theology philosophy that Tom's into are artists. And that's because like people who study the personalities of highly creative artistic people, usually these people are pretty high on the openness to experience scale. So in that category of personality, most artists, and maybe that's not too surprising, are really open to new experiences. And that could correlate to creativity. we would be really fun to have a psychologist on the show to talk about the personality traits of artists. I, there's a book I have about the personality of artists, but I haven't read it yet. So maybe whoever wrote that book, I should have. So I just thought you think that's interesting. Also, if you are more curious about Tom's, well, I'll link the show notes to Tom's books. If you're a super nerd and want to get into philosophy, he mentions Alfred North Whitehead, which who was a big influence on him. This is a philosopher. And John Cobb is another really influential person in this movement. And also Trip Fuller, who's a friend of mine, is... Tripp and Tom are both big proponents of this way of thinking about God and the universe. Anyway, I hope you're having a great week. I didn't even talk about the winemaker. I'll just say really quick that I'm looking for a location. I've been stressing out about this. It's a real psychological block for me. I have a lot of anxiety about the location thing because it is the most important piece, I feel like. it. It's like Planning a wedding or a big event, it's like once you have the location, so much other stuff can start falling into place. And it's really hard for me to take up space like that in someone's workspace, someone's property that's not mine, and to say, hey, can you do this for me? It's just another thing I have to get over, like asking for money with a crowdfunding thing, which ended this week very successfully. So I just have to grow in that and figure out a way to... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to be okay with it and so i'm just pr- wishing hoping praying for the right partner who really believes in the project and who i can feel great about partner like treating them like a partner treating these treating whoever it is who ends up giving me their space as a partner uh so let's start the interview here's my interview with thomas j ord
0: Yeah, I grew up in a family of people who were earnest and asked questions about life. And that meant being a part of a spiritual community, a church of the Nazarene was the name of the little church that I grew up in. My parents were really active board members, Sunday school teachers, song leaders, youth group directors, all that sort of thing. And I grew up asking questions about the meaning of life, freedom, evil, God. You know, that sounds kind of sophisticated, but it was pretty basic when I was younger and throughout time has become more sophisticated.
1: Do you have siblings, Tom? Or I have you?
0: an older brother and a younger sister.
1: Okay. Were they like you in that sense of like being inquisitive and asking philosophical yes. questions and stuff too? You're all, you all have that quality?
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And <laughs> they didn't get the same kind of advanced training I did, but we we definitely talked about those issues growing up and still do at family events cool i was also my mother was especially artistic she started a a stained glass business she did needlepoint embroidery she had a shop for a while she did some painting and she encouraged me to do that sort of thing but i didn't pick up the camera until i was a senior in high school i decided i wanted to be a part of the yearbook and newspaper and uh, went and bought myself a little Minolta camera. Actually, my father bought it for me, Minolta camera and learned how to be in the dark room and black and white stuff. And then it sat on the shelf for a long time. Although I I look back at some of my photos I made during that period and I was trying to be, have an artistic flair. I was trying to play with shadows and light and form and composition. I remember especially, and this is going to tell you how old I am, in 1980, Mount St. Helens blew, and I lived in eastern Washington. I was in the eighth grade, and I got my father's camera at that time and went out and made photographs of the all the ash that had fallen. And I could see, if, as I look back on those photos, I had a kind of I wanted to make some kind of artistic statement, even as an eighth grader. So that's my artistic background and how I got started with photography and a little bit about my own spiritual history.
1: Yeah. Yeah, cool. And so, yeah, and then you went on to study theology and philosophy quite a bit. Yeah, Yeah. I did
0: an undergraduate, graduate doctoral program, and I've been a professor for 25 years now, something like that.
1: Connections between your photography and your philosophical, theological, spiritual questions sort of feeding into each other or connecting or questions of beauty or of observation of the natural world. you want to just make a few comments about that?
0: Yeah. Initially, I didn't see a lot of connection other than I believed in a God who was a creator and I had a a desire to try to capture what I found beautiful in the world, a kind of a surfacey, well, maybe surfacey, negative, but it wasn't a deep kind of connection between my theology and my photography. But as I continued to work with the medium and I spent a lot of time outdoors, I could see things running together in terms of my questions about why is it that I'm attracted to certain forms. And uh, for instance, as an example, I noticed that the photographs that I often make or tend to make are photographs in which things are off-center. There's a moodiness about them. There's both a chaos and some, some continuity. And I suspect that I'm attracted to those kinds of photos because I see the world as that. I don't see the world as absolute beauty or absolute chaos, but always a mixture. I'm a I like to think of myself as a realist, not too optimistic, not too pessimistic. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. But apart from the just the content of the photos that you take, I feel like the practice itself seems like a spiritual practice almost because you go on these like long hikes in the middle of nowhere right
0: it definitely is a spiritual practice both in a kind of a a classic sense of spiritual practice i'm doing meditating a kind of a prayer but also in the more probably non-traditional view of spiritual practice of feeling the earth seeing the, the textures of the landscape and getting away from things my practice is that i go out almost every sunday after i go to church and have (laughs) dinner with the family i get in my jeep and i drive out into the idaho wilderness sometimes going into oregon or nevada and most of the time i'm very much by myself i'm very alone and of course that's been a practice of a lot of saints and sinners throughout the ages of getting away and trying to well just getting away from the rush of things and the usual the usual landscape the usual ways of living Have so you yeah done that's,
1: that for a long time or is that more recent years that you've been
0: no really i started well i mean a long time i started in the early 2000s after i came to idaho I started as a way to get away from the crap I was dealing with at the university in which I worked. I needed some time for reflection, and I just kind of took my camera with me, and then it just developed from there.
1: Yeah. Has anything scary ever happened, or?
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure your wife loves to hear that. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. bear. Like what? And- Oh, lots of bears encounters, Grizzlies, you know, rattlesnakes, probably the you know, I've had a couple of brushes with death. I've fallen and gotten injured. I hiked for several weeks with Giardia, which I won't go into what that means for your digestive system, but it's not good. <laughs> so yeah, I've had some of those kind of I've even well, I won't I won't go into some of the other grizzly things I've done, but yeah, it's been difficult and sometimes.
1: Is that part of it for you? I mean, what are you, what's that about? Like you, do you, does that enhance the experience for you that there is some risk involved or is it just worth it, the goodness of the hike?
0: I think probably it does enhance it a little bit to know there's some risk Mm -hmm. and I have to make decisions about what's a reasonable risk or not. And there's sometimes I want to get a photograph that I think will be unusual and it requires doing something that is a little risky or sometimes more than a little risky.
1: I mean, now I'm curious. You don't want to talk about more grisly details, but I'm kind of curious.
0: <laughs> That's because about I think, think I would gross out some of your your listeners. <laughs> <Yeah>. All
1: right. <laughs> I'll you tell, all tell you tell
0: off me? air. Sometime. Okay. Okay.
1: Sounds good. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay, cool. So why don't you talk about like some of what did you bring? You recently spoke at a, a seminary about creativity to the arts center. There and so, what did you lead with? What was your the question you were seeking to explore in that talk?
0: Well, to be honest, I was probably doing too many things in that talk. <laughs> Here are some of the elements I was working with. One is my belief that I make photographs rather than take photographs, which means that as a photographer, I feel like I'm an artist and I'm a co-creator. I also did this thing about. You know, as someone who believes in God and thinks a lot about what God can and can't do in the world, I ask the questions of who gets credit when I make a photograph that's good? Who gets the blame when I make one that's bad? (laughs) And in artistic circles, a lot of people will talk about the muse and say that things happen that they didn't intend to happen and give credit to the muse. But then people who believe in God will say, well, that's not muse, that's really God. That's the Holy Spirit and all things that are good, beautiful, glorious, excellent. We should give full credit to God. And then of course, others who don't have any belief in God will take credit on them or themselves. They're the artists after all. They made the decisions, they put the work in. It was their vision. And I made the claim that I essentially think all three are always present in my work, which means that, and I identify the muse with a category of philosophy we call creativity. the In Taoism, we would, they would call it the Tao, but it's this notion that there's this throbbing at the heart of reality, and uh, that I identify with the muse. But anyway, the, the, the sort of the big point there was I don't think anybody gets full credit or full blame, but it's shared amongst those three.
1: Okay, cool. So, I mean, in your conception as someone who believes in God, is it is this Tao separate from God? From Is it another spirit?
0: Yeah, it's separate from God. It wouldn't be a spirit like a being. Mm-hmm. It would be more like, Well, can I get technical for you just for a second? Okay. It would be more like what Aristotle called the material cause, what Whitehead called creativity, what Henri Bergson called ilan vital, which is like a vital force. It's this notion that there's this pulsating force of energy at the heart of existence. And it's not a person. It's not a thing. It's... Yeah, those words that I just threw out there
1: sort of defies those categories yeah, mm. yeah.
0: yeah.
1: that's interesting I, get, I mean there's like because a lot of people it comes down to how they interpret their experience of art making like I've heard like David Lynch talks about like it's like this man <laughs> he's like you know he he's really into meditation and he feels like when he's making a project it's like Someone's handing him pieces of it along the way. Mm, It feels like, you know, kind of like the idea of the muse or whatever. But like when you experience this process of creation and you're doing it, but some of it, but you're also experiencing it as if it's coming from somewhere else. Like it feels like something's being handed to you from some other force or some other agent
0: of some kind. That's what I'm trying to capture. Yeah.
1: So some people's worldview allows for that to be called God or to be called the muse, or whatever. But sometimes, but if it doesn't, people are like, no, that's my subconscious revealing things to me that I've collected throughout time or something to use like a, I don't know, some other psychological language. Some people are more comfortable talking that way.
0: Yeah. And I'm making the claim that it's all three things. Mm-hmm. God, me as the artist and this something else that's mm-hmm. the muse creativity or whatever and maybe some people don't think that matters to make that kind of a claim but yeah it why matters. do you think why
1: do you think it matters i mean it's i i see how it's like an option on the table you know yeah, <laughs> but what yeah. do you think's important about well
0: that? let me start with why i don't want to give myself all the credit as if i'm the only one and that is i have that same feeling that you have mentioned that other people feel that Things are coming together that's beyond me, that transcend my decision-making. I don't want to give it all to God because I think sometimes my art sucks and I don't think God is the author of ugliness. Plus, I don't <laughs> think God is a controlling deity. Mm-hmm. I've got certain reasons to think that God doesn't control me, in fact, can't control me mm-hmm. and therefore isn't the author or even a of evil in the world. But I do think God is an influence. So if the art is beautiful and God is the influence or source of beauty, then I want to talk in some way about divine action. So it's those kind of three things all together. I suppose what some people might do is just say it's God and the artist. But I don't know, there's that element of more than, that I think transcends both me and God, and that's why I'm bringing in the third element.
1: That is interesting. I guess what I want to ask next is, unless there's anything you want to add to that.
0: Yeah, there's something else I just realized. There's another topic I talked about at Fuller that I'm still kind of working on words to articulate. And this is, again, going to sound nerdy because I'm a philosopher and theologian, but when people talk about the fundamental framework to make sense of reality. They often talk about the causes that go on in the world, whether or not those causes are, you know, cause and effect in, in material objects or the physical world or free will or that sort of thing. And usually left out of that picture are feelings mm-hmm. and values. And I think I make the best sense of what my art is when I believe that feeling is a fundamental causal category. So in other words, when I'm making a decision, when I've got my camera in front of my face, I'm looking at some object or part of the landscape or something that I'm imagining that I might make a photograph I'm doing a lot of feeling in that moment. And those, that feeling involves these aesthetic judgments that I probably can't describe fully, but influence what seems to me to be interesting or attractive or astonishing, some sort of value claim. So I talked a little bit about that at the Fuller event. And That's
1: been a very exciting part of my adult life is getting more in touch with that side. You know, I was Mm. like very, I don't know, the tradition I grew up in really valued like right thinking and doctrine and things like that. So it was very like, feelings were not valued and the body was not valued. But like, when I started to go to therapy and get more in touch with that part of myself, I found it to be almost like a fun puzzle. It's like my my body knows things that my mind is not so consciously aware of and yes. the more I more I tune into that the more I don't know I'm just more it's it's deeper it's a deeper well.
0: <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. I like to use the language here this is really turning into a nerdy conversation. So That's forgive right. me listeners who aren't into this <laughs>
1: sort
0: of stuff. But I like to distinguish between perception that is sensory so visual, taste, touch, whatever, and perception that is non-sensory.
1: Ooh, what's that? And I,
0: I think that is deeper and more fundamental than sensory perception. And we have lots of language to talk about this. We'll, we'll use language like intuition yes. or a calling or in Christian traditions, we th- say things like still small voice or conscience. Mm-hmm. And there's, it's this something that, We know there's something more basic than what we can even sense with our five senses going on. And it doesn't necessarily have to pertain to God. It can pertain also to the world in which we encounter, including beauty and forms and cause and effect and values, et cetera. To illustrate this, I noticed that sometimes when I'm making a photograph, in fact, often when I'm making a photograph, I will turn my head slightly when i'm looking in my through my camera and look at what's in the viewfinder from the side of my eye it's not a direct visual thing i'll I'll kind of like look away and there's something about using that indirect look that allows me to to make better photographs than if i look directly at it (laughs) (laughs) and i attribute that to there's some way that I can sense reality that goes beyond the straightforward visual, careful study of where things are in the frame.
1: That's really cool. I've been thinking a lot about the word intuition lately and what that means. You know, I know from working with a cognitive scientist for a few years now mm-hmm. and yes. other stuff that like there are some scientific categories for some of the stuff we're talking about in terms of your mind is always collecting a lot more information about your environment and your situation right. th- than you're consciously aware of. And that's a great thing. So you don't have to be consciously aware of stuff or if you suddenly have a memory of something that happened like a long time ago and you're like, you'd totally forgotten it, it but it was somewhere th- in there, you know, it's pretty amazing. I mean, it's pretty incredible that your mind is capable of doing that and storing away so much information, but then su- Now and then you find ways to access it. You don't need all that information all the time. Your mind's taking care of you in that way, you know? So, and then that's something you could say, but like a lot of intuition is accessing some of that data that has not been at top of mind, but that your your mind's been constantly collecting your whole life.
0: Yes, definitely.
1: Um, Yeah. But then bringing in other, I don't know, what I've been doing lately is thinking about what I believe about the role of anything spiritual or supernatural in that, if you want to call it the, the spirit or, you know, some of these other categories. But does does God or could it be that God or, or spirits help inform this intuition? And you can tune into that aspect more. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that.
0: But. Oh, yeah. I think that's really important.
1: Because actually, I'm like, I am inclined to think that there is and there are that like God does. I'm always doubting and I'm always like turning beliefs up in terms of like, you know. Well, that's good though, isn't yeah. it? I mean, yes, I yeah. think
0: it's good to be doubting. It's good to be questioning. And, yeah. and and you and I, from our past conversations, you know that I have a non-traditional view of God in the sense that I, I really don't like claims about God as, you know, omnipotent and God is in control. and uh, Right.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. For the listeners, just quickly, if they have some background in Christianity and the sort of classical understanding of God is that God is all-powerful or sovereign, stuff like that, and Tom is a proponent of another type of conception of God, sometimes thought, the transgressive thinker.
0: Yes. (laughs) But it has such a
1: nice name. It's open and relational theology. Right. Well, thank you. (laughs) That's
0: right.
1: (laughs) How could that possibly be
0: transgressive? (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, because that word God has packed into it so much negativity for so many people, because it's a traditional view of God, I, I will shy away from it in some circles. Yeah. But I find myself being drawn back to it because of my questions about Love, beauty, truth, goodness. And I have a hard time making sense of reality without reference to those things. I guess I was just making trying to justify using the, the G word. <laughs>
1: we were talking about intuition and like the the scientific categories for mm. that and the questions about if God or the universe or spirit does yep. tie into that
0: there's a lot of things going on these days or at least a, a greater awareness of people knowing that they know things that their minds or brains can't always keep in their conscious experience and so you know all this stuff about how the body knows things that
1: mm-hmm.
0: that we don't consciously know i'm totally into that i totally agree <laughs> with that. but my my way of thinking about that has actually a philosophical framework that accounts for what I earlier called non-sensory perception, that says that my moment-by-moment moment experiencing is, goes beyond what I can taste, touch, smell, see, etc. And that, that, sensory, that non-sensory perception makes a difference when I'm trying to make art, when I'm trying to make a statement about the way I feel or the world in front of me, And and that's important to me. I I like
1: it, too. Yeah, I like that, too. What about this idea? Like, can you talk, can you teach me a little bit more about the idea of co-creation and how you mean it when you talk about co-creation? Yeah, maybe you could just start there.
0: Well, in many Christian traditions, God is thought of as the creator. And when people think like that, they usually think somewhere back at the beginning, God started from nothingness, launched things out there, and now things are kind of clicking along in the way God intended them. And a lot of people don't think of us as being creators. I not only think we are creators alongside God and with God, But I think this co-creating is an everlasting process between God and creation. I won't go into all the details of why I think it's important that it be everlasting, but in terms of what it means in terms of art, it means that whatever is produced, we might say, by an artist is something that we really make decisions about and contribute to. They're not somehow handed to us by some divine force as if we're passive observers, we, we make decisions on what becomes reality. And it means that, that really new things come into existence. The world really is new, moment by moment. The future is not fixed, settled, and decided. And what will be is partly decided by the co-creating you and I do, moment by moment. And that, I think, is a far more liberative view of reality than the one that many theistic traditions have given us, which says that God has decided everything already, and we're just kind of along for the ride.
1: Yeah. Does that occur by like, a, like attending to the, the still small voice or the instinct or the lure towards well i guess we i was gonna say love but then i was like does that apply to artwork <laughs> so that's what just happened in my I brain I think it
0: does yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. I like moment we,
1: by moment how does that co-creation practically happen
0: yeah i think we co-create moment by moment whether or not we're aware of it or even mm-hmm. if we believe in god mm-hmm. it's just a reality of the way things are Mm-hmm. but our co-creating can be more beautiful more valuable more constructive if we attend to that still small voice and where it might be calling us guiding us luring us persuading us wooing us and so i think part of what it means to live well in the world is try trying to discern where these nudges our leading one moment by moment as an artist, as a parent, as a person yeah. doing a podcast interview, moment by moment, trying to be open to where those nudges might be pushing us or pulling us.
1: And sometimes that's like darkish places. Sure. Because like you said, you, a lot of your own work is, uh, is off-center and, and darker. So, Yeah.
0: Yeah, because sometimes I feel like I need to make a statement about what seems to be the truth of reality. And the truth yeah. of reality is is we don't live in a you know rosy world. We live in a world with good and evil. Mm-hmm. And I want to tell the truth as I see it about that world. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and you're someone who's experienced a lot of grief. You've been pretty open about that. And creativity seems like it can be a powerful response to grief. I just remember having this strong feeling that like that the solution to the problem of evil, which I guess I should define for the audience, is (laughs) has something to do with art. Like there's nothing words don't do grief and suffering justice sometimes. And sometimes a cello or a brushstroke or a scene in a film or I don't know. A photograph can seems like it does it more justice in response than words can. And yeah, just for the audience, the problem of evil is how could a good God exist given how, how much excessive evil there appears to be and God allow that? I mean, I don't know. There was yeah, a question I mean, in there, but... <laughs>
0: for me, the questions of unnecessary suffering of pointless pain raised the question of God's power and love. I've been so bold as to say we could solve at least the theoretical aspect of this problem.
1: The logical aspect, yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah.
0: By just saying God simply doesn't have the kind of power to prevent evil single-handedly. But there are other aspects of the problem of evil, and I think your comments point to this notion of our participation in... Overcoming evil with good or trying to reconcile our feelings with the pain that we have. And I think that's an, an essential element for a full orbed solution to the problem of evil because there's more than just the logical or theoretical aspects.
1: Definitely. Yeah. I don't know what I was saying now, but like the, I recently had experienced the loss of a pet that I had for like a long time. It was very hard, but I, it was the right time. And all those things first week after we lost my dog, we had to put him down. I found myself thinking and feeling all sorts of wild emotions because Mm. and I was really struck. I was and thoughts, like I and deeply like theological thoughts, like thoughts about God and the way the world works. And the way that my existence in relationship to this animal has been and my impressions that he was still in the house and Things Mm -hmm. like that. What struck me was how different it was from just sadness, like the experience of Mm -hmm. having a bad day and being sad about something or a disappointment or something. Like there was something about losing a life that triggered so, such, such strange experiences within me. I, there's like, I don't know how I'm going to tie this back to creativity and art, but (laughs) there's (laughs) a lot to be explored there. And I'm, almost grateful for this recent small dose reminded me of the uniqueness of that experience of grief and you know, how powerful it can be.
0: Yeah, You earlier talked about how you grew up in a tradition in which feelings were not honored or trusted or thought to be valuable, that having the right ideas were what really important. And I always grew up in a similar tradition. And one of the concerns People had was that you couldn't control your feelings entirely, you and you couldn't rely on them. And there's some truth to that. When I have gone through difficult times, whether it's the loss of a job or a death, I sometimes find myself—I use the Mm word—attacked by emotions. Mm-hmm. I went through a difficult professional situation in which I was fired from my job about eight years ago, and even today, I'll be hiking in the wilderness, not even thinking about that, and those memories will hit me, and emotions will hit me, and like I mm-hmm. don't have much control over that, you know? Mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah, um, they just come up, sweep, come upon you. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It, was, it was probably pretty traumatic. Think, because it was. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But I think there's something to learn as an artist. And that it. is, um, that is that art isn't all about you making your plans and then going and accomplishing your artistic project. You've got this movie you're going to make and yeah. you you're making plans. You've got ideas. I'm sure you've got a script in your head. If you don't have it on paper, you're thinking about shots. You're thinking about all this sort of stuff. But when the moment comes, there's going to be things hitting you emotionally and from that situation that you're just going to have to deal with as an artist. You're not in control, at least not Mm -hmm. full control. Mm -hmm. And so I think this idea of emotions hitting you because of the loss of your dog, because of a loss of a job, whatever, can actually be instructive as an artist to, to kind of prepare you. In the moment when you think you've planned for months to be on (laughs) site for this shot, (laughs) Um, yeah, but you've got to react given whatever the data was in front of you or is in front of you.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's kind of, it's an exciting, it can be kind of scary, but also an exciting aspect, right? (laughs) Of all the things you don't have control of and part of the art form, especially filmmaking is the ways in which you respond to all the things that you couldn't control or predict, and that's just like part of the gig, you know. And it's sort of, and especially, so I'm sort of dealing with the resentful fact that I have to like trust an actor to <laughs> with my movie, you know, like
0: <laughs> <laughs> they yeah. can just
1: ruin everything.
0: <laughs> and if you're like me as a photographer, like I have plans often when I'm going out to do either a yeah. if I'm out for a week hiking or just for an afternoon. I've got plans and almost always some of those plans fail and it's a disappointment. But also almost always something emerges I'd never even imagined that's beautiful or excellent. (laughs) That's life in a nutshell right there.
1: So have you exhibited your photos anywhere? Sure. you done some exhibits or whatever? How did that feel? Or is that a recent development or have you done that a lot or how?
0: I haven't done a lot, maybe four or five times. Does that feel
1: important to you to share the photographs you make? Is it like, or are they more for you? Okay,
0: great. Yeah, I I do want to share. I do oftentimes have viewers in mind when I make a photograph. There's always some photographs that I really like that other people don't seem to. But often when I'm making a photograph, I'm thinking about how it will be observed by others.
1: Uh-huh, what kind of responses or conversations do you hope come from your artwork? I mean, I guess something I'm trying to get out here is that you in your like philosophical and theological work, I know you often really pursue answers to questions pretty rigorously, and with artwork, there's ambiguity and there seems to be more openness for in personal, subjective interpretation. Mm. You get what I'm trying to say?
0: I think so. And I hadn't really thought about it. So you're asking me, prompts me to think differently.
1: I (laughs) suspect
0: that in my writing, I'm oftentimes trying to propose an answer I think solves a problem. Right. But in my art, I'm usually trying to pose questions or inspire people to Think differently, or to take action, or so. Mm. It my art is probably more a call, and my writing is probably more the response or Mm. the proposal. Mm. Mm. I
1: hadn't thought about that,
0: but that's probably true.
1: Cool. That makes me. That just triggers. I went to church on Sunday for the first time in a long time, and there was a teaching from my friend Shelley Bennett. And what she did was did just, she read from the Apocrypha, the story of Judas, which if you grow up in pr- a Protestant tradition, your Bible doesn't have the story of Judith slain Holofernes. I think is how you pronounce that name. If you search Judith's slain Holofernes, there's great, you know, Renaissance paintings of, <laughs> of this, her beheading this guy. Really violent. And apparently, she was like the most beautiful woman in the world, too. So she's like really hot and doing this violent thing. (laughs) But what was strike, strike, what struck me about the story is like there's this whole prayer, which I hadn't ever heard before, where she says in her prayer, she's asking God to like help her, you know, defeat their enemies or whatever. And she's like, So I'm going to tell a bunch of lies, God. And I sort of like, I hope you see where I'm at with this. Like, (laughs) <laughs> she's just sort of like preemptively telling god she's gonna lie in this situation but it's for what she believes is the best possible outcome you know
0: <laughs> and i'm
1: not i'm not telling the story because i think it actually happened or whatever but i think there was a cool like i'm really into the idea that every moment kind of calls for its own wisdom and yes there are yes there are of course principles that universal principles i believe those exist you know but that 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 idea that every moment has its own its own special call and its own sort of set of special of nuance and circumstance that it that it requires. I Something. thought was sort of a, a beautiful, a good lesson to take from that. But
0: reminds um, me of a quote from one of my favorite philosophers, Alfred North Whitehead. He says, love is a little oblivious when it comes to morals. And by that he means that sometimes you break rules because love requires it. Now I'm not saying Judas cutting this person's head off was a loving action. No, no, we don't. We do not condone that violent
1: (laughs) Just say that. Yeah. What really fosters creativity for you? Like, what really enlivens that aspect for you? Really encourages that, but. when I ask you that, it sounds like you're just going to say, Go in for a really long, dangerous walks. And
0: that's
1: <laughs> <laughs> <is> the answer.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I've noticed that when I go out to make photographs, whether it's an afternoon or a week long hike, my first photographs usually suck. It takes me a, me a little while for my eyes to adjust to see the light to see the forms and so if you ask me what works for me one of the things that works for me is realizing that it's going to take some some bad frames before probably I'm going to get good frames that I I need to make art for a while before it's probably going to be my better best art
1: what if someone wanted to know more about the stuff you were talking about if they really like the nerdy when you're talking about the muse or the vital force or co-creation or something, if someone wanted to start getting into some of that, what would you recommend
0: to them? You know, when I first met you, I think in person was at that psychology event in Fuller. Wasn't that Mm -hmm. the first time we hung out? Yeah.
1: That was the first time we met. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I started talking to Cutter then. And then we had some email exchanges and I decided I need to write a full-length book on this subject. So I've been talking into my iPhone for the last couple of years, okay. putting together a book. So Love I'd like it. to point you know, the I listeners to some particular book right now in print, but I can't think of one. Of, I hope to write one eventually.
1: Cool. Awesome. And then I was going to ask you if there's any experiences you've had with animals that you would like to tell a story about. Do they usually ignore you when you take pictures of them, or have you ever
0: Okay. You're gonna really think I'm a weirdo now. Oh, I can't I, wait for this. <laughs> I talk I talk to animals. You talk I to talk, them. I talk to moose, deer, bears, snakes, butterflies, birds. I don't think that's weird at all. And I actually think I get, in some cases, better pictures because I talk to to animals. I talked to a mother moose and a cow and her calf in Wyoming one summer for a half hour, and they were grazing there, and I moved close to them and made some really good photographs. One of my favorite stories is I was one evening at the bottom of Snake river canyon wanting to take a photograph of one of my favorite petroglyph rocks. And I looked off in the distance and saw a young coyote, and he wasn't that bothered by me, which was kind of unusual, I assumed because he was a juvenile. But uh, I set up my camera, and then I kind of was at a place where I had to wait for the darkness to get deep enough so that I could get a photograph of the stars and the petroglyphs on this rock. And I was waiting there for 45 minutes or so. I heard a little rustling behind me, and I turned around, and that coyote had walked up to about four feet of me. And I turned around, and I said, Hello, friend. And that coyote sat down on his back haunches and scratched his back ear. And Then I took my camera and tried to make a photo of him, and he kind of walked off into the darkness. (laughs) That was evidence for me that I had gone from a person who, when I was younger, did a lot of killing of animals and snakes and coyotes, yeah. to a person who now tries to be friendly toward nature. And that bears certain fruit, I think.
1: That's cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, I guess I, I don't know if this is true or not. You probably could speak to it better than I can, but I'm thinking like that the animals you encounter maybe don't encounter a lot of humans.
0: In some cases, definitely. Yeah, yeah. in some cases. Definitely not. It's
1: like a novel experience and probably hearing a human voice. Pretty not for them. Yeah. So. Cool. Very unique uh, conversation. I, it seems like in the world of people who are interested in open and relational theology, it does seem that there are a lot of creative and artistic folks in the community. Would you? I don't know if you think that's,
0: that's true. I do think that's true. And I think yeah. there's a theological reason. Because we think what we do actually matters to God and to the world. And if you have a God who's omnipotent, and controlling everything, your life really doesn't matter. <laughs> 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 so why are you motivated to do art, if you think? Oh, dang.
1: <laughs> if it doesn't really matter. <laughs> right,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah I, I think also that part of that like artist's personalities and having that experience of the creative practice it probably really resonates with them the idea of yep. the creation and stuff because of their lived experience that. Yeah.
0: yeah and let's, let's face it most people in the open relational community know they're on the outs of orthodoxy right. so they're kind of risk takers to begin with
1: yeah very open and, to new ideas
0: right and most artists are risk takers
1: yeah. well thanks for taking the time to do this talk
0: yeah thanks I for really the opportunity
1: I really appreciate it thank you for joining us that's our show folks thanks for listening as usual you can send a question in to sarah a at secretartproject.com or use speakpipe.com secretartproject if you want to know more about tom links are in the show notes but that's thomasjor.com and you can no longer pledge to the winemakermovie.com campaign it's over but you can still go to that page if you want to learn more about my next short film, which is a eerie sci-fi short that takes place on a winery. And if you hit follow, you'll be added to the mailing list to learn about updates about the project. My intro music is Lawless Flawless by Omniflex. It's on Spotify if you guys want to listen to that song and the rest of her album. Thanks to Omniflex for letting me use that trick. And until next time... Keep working on your secret art projects.